gets up in front of people, they will influence them according to how they feel it should be rather than, rather than what is true, always. So we must always be discerning on what is being taught and say what transcends time. And we know that according to the Bible, it, that it is the Word of God that transcends time. As the, the Apostle Peter wrote in quoting the prophet Isaiah, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Or as Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. These stars will fall into play, fall one day, or the sun might burn out, but Jesus' words will endure for all time. And so what God has established for us, both as men and women, that is what we follow. We have to go to the Word of God humbly, respectfully, and say, God, let, me be, let my eyes be open to what Your Word says, and let my heart be obedient to this, to respond accordingly. Because what You have set forth within Your Word is what is right. Now, I have to say, it, it, this is one of the hardest topics for a preacher to preach on. Uh, for me, personally, I was raised in a single household for many years. With a very st I've been around strong women my entire life. Uh, I have been even under the tutelage of some feminist, feminist teachers when I was in high school. So if you would have asked me when I graduated high school where I would fit, I would say I would have undoubtedly stood up for women, and I still do. But I see now that that view is skewed. And it was not based upon the Word of God. And it took reading and understanding the Word of God and the whole counsel of God's Word to truly appreciate and apply what we are going to learn about today. So I would encourage us all to have our Bibles open, our hearts open, to turn our thoughts to God and say, God, what is it you have for us? Because this is extremely important. There is so much confusion going on in our world today on what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. And we need to go to the Word of God to discern what God has for us because we know what God has for us is right and it is doing what God has for us that we find great joy. So let's, let's take, a, uh, take time to read the Word together. It is our tradition here at Village Bible Church Grace Campus to stand for the honor of reading God's Word. We are in the book of Titus, chapter 2. Today we'll be reading from verses 3 through 5, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. The Apostle Paul writes by the Holy Spirit to Titus. He says, verse 3, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Let's pray. Father, we come before you asking you to open our eyes to see what is within your word. And Lord, the, the words that are spoken today, I pray my find fertile soil that our hearts might be ready to receive what it is that you have for us, both as men and as women. 
So Lord, please clear the air, clear any way, any baggage that we may have, and help us to see your word truly and fully, because we know what you have written is for our benefit, that we might discover the joy of knowing you and walking according to the standards and parameters which you have set forth. And we pray this now in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I've entitled this message, Finding the Church's Next Top Model. It's taken from a popular TV show that I've actually never seen, but I'm aware of it. It's a reality TV show where young women come together to compete to see who will be the next top fashion model. And they have a set of judges, and the judges have a set of criteria in their mind and their experiences on what makes a top model. Now, while I appreciate that, I'd rather go to God's Word and, and see that, you know, charm is deceptive and beauty is fading, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So we need to see what God says. What is God's pattern or template that is set forth? So what does in essence mean to be the church's or God's model woman? What does it take? What does the Bible say most of all? So today we're going to examine that, and I'd like us to go piece by piece, and I would encourage you to keep your Bible open as we go through this, both men and women alike, ladies especially, but men, I'd like you to pay very close attention to what we're going to be talking about, not as a means of lording it over, but as a means of understanding, because the scripture says that we are to live with our wives in an understanding way, and most men, I would say, and most women would probably readily agree, their husbands don't understand one thing about them. Uh, after living with my wife for 10 years, I will be the first to raise my hand. There's a lot about you ladies that I have no clue about. Uh, from I, Just take the bathroom, for instance. Uh, I have like three things in the bathroom, a razor, uh, a, you know, shaving lotion, and I don't even bother to have shampoo and conditioner separate. It's just easier having it one together. And, and my wife has 364 things. Um, and some of it, I think you need to have an advanced degree in chemistry to understand how to use these. But it doesn't take a genius to see that men and women are different. Amen? I mean, as we've learned before, we go to the, the book of Genesis chapter 2, and we see that Adam was formed of the dust of the ground. But in the book of, we also see, not in the, it's the book of Genesis, but I like the New American Standard, how it translates the creation of woman. It says that woman was fashioned from man. Man was made from dirt. <laughs> woman was fashioned. <laughs> and there's, there's something that's beautiful in the complementary nature of the two sexes. And though they're a mystery to one another, it is, it is a creation of God. And we go to the Word of God to see how each one is to fulfill their role intelligently, and faithfully. So we go to our text, verse 3. Older women. First of all, an older woman. What considers, is considered to be an older woman? Uh, this is the battle of the ages for most women. What considers, is considered to be an older woman? Well, within scriptural times, a woman was considered to be older and if she was over the age of 50 and her, she had children that were grown. So that would put you in the older category. Sorry if that offends some ladies. Uh, that's just how the scripture has set forth. 
But it says that this, these older women, likewise, likewise, it is, it is connecting to the preceding thought, which was just talking, as Pastor Andrew shared last week, what the behavior and proper roles are for men. So it's saying that women also have their responsibility as women. In essence, he's saying, and what Paul is writing to Titus is, I'm giving you a pattern to follow and to implement. I am setting forth a pattern for you, a template. This is how what or what God requires of women. So we need to understand, first of all, and you're, if you're following along in your notes, is that we have a pattern to follow. Now, what is this pattern? Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. Now, the term reverent in behavior contains two words unique in the New Testament. It, the first word for behavior is katastema, which means behavior, demeanor, state of mind, while reverent means behavior appropriate for a temple. What Paul is saying here is that this pattern involves a consistently reverent behavior, a consistently or to be consistently re, uh, reverent. It is behavior that is appropriate to worship. That's where we must understand context. The book of Titus is called or considered to be one of three what we call pastoral letters. Timothy and Titus. You have 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. The three together are called pastoral letters because they are written to Timothy and Titus who were pastoring. And, and Paul had written all three of these. And uh, in this letter, he is, in the, in the letter to 1st Timothy especially, Paul was writing to Timothy about pastoring in, in Ephesus. And in that, he instructed women to be silent in 1st Timothy chapter 2. Now, again, this is a very controversial passage. What does that mean? Does it mean silence in totality? I don't think that's what it means because we have to examine all Scripture. Because if we were to say a woman would be silent in totality, that means that a woman wouldn't be able to pray, read Scripture, or to say anything out loud within the service. That's not what Scripture is teaching. And we have to compare Scripture with Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 clearly states that a woman was praying and prophesying in public. So it was done within the understanding of a context of worship. So then what does that mean? Well, within the time at Ephesus where Timothy was pastoring, and we remember we have to understand the pastorals, uh, kind of compare them with one another to get a fully orbed view of what was going on, is he is writing to them who are at Ephesus because the women at Ephesus were just causing all kinds of havoc within the services. Ephesus was the headquarters of Diana worship, or great as Artemis of the Ephesians. I mean, you had this, this feministic cult that had come up. So there were these feministic impulses within the service that women would speak up, I mean, loudly, and disrupt the service. So he's talking about more behavior, there. They need to have proper behavior. Now, what does that behavior mean? What does it mean to have proper behavior within the, the, the service? Well, it means several things, and these aren't in your notes. It means recognition of authority. First of all, God, her husband. There's also the elders of the church that have been placed over, or the elders and then husband. It means a proper understanding of speech and conducts, conduct, and it means proper attire of modesty. Ladies, are you modest and reverent in your conduct and in your dress? I wrote about this this past week in the tool shed. I'll tell you, if you want to get a lot of people, go to your blog and cause a lot of comments and problems. Write about men and write about male and female uh, issues. I had 
people writing and commenting from all kinds of backgrounds. Because it's such a controversial thing. But the Bible is clear. Women are to be modest, and so are men, but women much more so. As the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9 through 10, Likewise, all say that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. See, modesty is becoming an increasingly rare virtue in our tolerant and permissive culture. We want to show off our bodies, men and women alike. Of course, some things hopefully change with age, but we all must be reminded or taught modesty, especially the younger generation. The younger generation has grown up within a society where everything is permitted, permissible, and acceptable. But according to the Word of God, that is not so. That we are not to capitulate to culture, but we are to be faithful stewards following faithfully the Word of God, standing out against the culture while faithfully engaging it with the Word of God. So we have to be modest. Now what is modesty and why is it important? Modesty is the state or quality whereby we are aware of our bodies and seek to present them in such a way that is pure and holy to God. We seek to cover up our bodies or dress in an appropriate manner so as to bring God glory. We do not wish to show or accentuate our bodies in such a manner that those who see us are tempted to lust or think of us in an impure, impure manner. While this is applicable to both genders, it is more so to women than to men. It doesn't take a genius to see that men and women are different, or men are from Mars and women are from, well, I think Pluto, but we'll go with it. We are different physiologically, emotionally, and spiritually, yet equal in Christ with different and distinct roles. Within the physical realm, men and women are different and delightfully so. As we mentioned before, man was created from the dust of the ground while woman was fashioned. There is an allure to woman, intrinsic to who she is and who God created her to be. And our world knows this. It is no secret that advertisers use beautiful women to sell everything and anything because our eyes are attracted to the female form, men and women alike. As it has been jokingly said when a beautiful woman walks into the room... All the men stare while all the women compare. So aware of the powerful nature of the female body, God has commanded that women know how to handle and use it. And In the passage of 1 Timothy, the Bible says that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. This doesn't mean that a woman shouldn't seek to be beautiful. She should, but she should make sure that her beauty points others to God. It is God who made her, who fashioned her. She may be able to accentuate the canvas a bit, but the masterpiece is of, a woman, of who a woman is and who her allure is directly a gift from God. So women are to dress themselves in respectable apparel with modesty. When Paul wrote that a woman should not dress herself with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, he didn't mean that women shouldn't dress nice. During Timothy's time, the women sought to bring undue attention upon themselves by using their attire to communicate their wealth and importance. But Paul wants women to know, be known by godliness and good works, not their wealth and fashion sense. 
It's not wrong to be wealthy or fashionable, but it is wrong to flaunt it. God values godliness rather than wealth or fashion combined. And Paul addresses Timothy so that he might teach women to dress in such a manner that it is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. He wants to make sure it's the inner beauty that they are known for before their outer beauty. And the natural inclination of women is to dress in such a way as to attract attention. Although this may not be hold true for every woman, it holds true for most. Women do want to be seen, to be noticed, to be admired, and be told they look beautiful. My daughters in their youth do this now, innocently. Do I look beautiful, Daddy? Yes, you do, honey. You do. Some women, however, have perverted this desire and gone further by degrading themselves by using their curves to bring undue and improper attention, even to the point where men are tempted to lust. Yes, men do need to guard their eyes and exercise self-control. But it is also true that women are to exercise self-control by dressing with modesty and self-control. This is not to say that a woman should not seek to be beautiful, but to be aware of what is accentuated, where the eyes of men are and naturally prone to go, and careful so as brothers in Christ are not tempted to lust. I hope that we all might seek to be modest in our dress, and I pray that we all might adorn ourselves with godliness so that we may be known more by what's on the inside rather than the outside, and that God may receive praise through every aspect of our lives, even the way we dress. Now moving on, women, older women, are likewise to teach, to train. It says that there moves on to two negatives here, not slanderers and slaves to much wine. Here we get a further picture of the situation in Crete. The women were slanderers. Slander was characteristic of the young Ephesian widows that caused Paul to limit enrollment of widows in the church, 1 Timothy 5.13. And the word here for slanderer is diabolos. And apart from 1 Timothy 3.3, it is used exclusively in reference to Satan. Diabolical, diabolos. So he's saying that women... And what Paul is telling the women here is to be careful with words. To be careful with their words. Watch what they say. How are you with your words, ladies? I have often said that women are verbal Zoros. That can address men in a moment. Men are still trying to spit out words. You know, there, it's no secret. There, there's, there's a reason why TV shows such as Gilmore Girls and Sense and Sensibility are attractive to women and not to men. Part of it's the plot, but part of it is the dialogue. Women are, are enthralled by the conversation that is going back and forth. I tried to sit down once and watch uh, one of those girl shows with my wife, and I was exhausted. I couldn't keep up <laughs> going back and forth. I'm like, what? It's too much. I can't handle. I just need to go boom, and I'm happy. Guys like action films and things like that. Ladies like the dialogue. Women are very good with words. I mean, for instance... With women, especially younger girls, in junior high, it's drama, drama, drama. With boys, there's not the drama. There aren't movies like Mean Boys, but Mean Girls. Because women know how to use words. We're saying that we need to be very careful. The women need to be very careful. Guard your tongue. Because it can harm and hurt. So be very careful, especially within marriage. This is for both husband and wife. Inevitably, we're going to fight as husband and wife if you are married. But if you do fight, 
Fight fair. Fight fair. Because sometimes spouses say things that they can't, you can never take back. Guard your tongue and watch what you say. So we have to be careful with their words. The women of Crete have gone around spreading rumors that damage reputations. And a Christian woman must be especially on guard with her words. Next we have slaves to much wine. Again, we have a picture of life on the island of Crete. Alcoholism must have been a severe problem since it's an issue on every list in the three pastorals. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus mentions what, this, what was going on. Alcoholism was just hugely apparent within society, and it's in with ours today as well. Alcoholism is prevalent in every culture, and especially prevalent in Crete. And in Crete, according to various epitaphs, Heavy drinking was considered a virtue. If you could handle your liquor, you were considered to be a great person. And you could drink a lot. And here he's saying older women, like all ages, need to be on guard against alcohol, but not just alcohol. We can see this principle translating in a variety of ways to our culture. Because it's not just alcohol that we have a problem with in our culture. It can be anything. Overeating. Overspending, etc. Rather than focusing on just alcohol, which was the main problem going on in Crete, we can see the older ladies are especially to be self-controlled in their behavior, or controlled in their behavior. They weren't given over to extremes, whims, and passions all the time. Examples of women I know, uh, there's not so, we're not so self-controlled. I remember uh, working at a grocery store. I was a bag boy. When I was in high school, and every night at nine o'clock, we would get a call on the intercom, and that meant that there was a certain woman there. We knew her. We all knew her. And what did she come to do? Every night at nine o'clock, she came to buy two hundred dollars worth of lotto tickets. Every night, and she wouldn't just stop at our our store. She would go to every gas station in my small town. I mean, she would easily spend a thousand dollars a night. Now, who could spend a thousand dollars a night? Well, she was a dentist's wife, so she had some means, and she would, I would say she made as much as she lost, so she always broke even. But you could tell it just, it was, it held her. It, she lacked self-control. And that can be in anything when you're going shopping and you just can't stop spending. Or you're going to the refrigerator and you can't stop eating. It can be with anything. It's any excessive behavior. But here, especially, we see it in Crete, it was alcohol. Not, they were given over to it entirely. But we see that it's reference to the entirety of behavior. That women are have a, a controlled behavior, whether it's alcohol, eating, shopping, how they raise their children, hobbies, you name it. Here it is revealing of someone who has controlled behavior. Let's continue on, looking at verse 4. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, through the older women, we see that we have a pattern to follow, but the next verses, uh, we can see that there is also a plan to implement. Here we have older women teaching younger women. So, it's mentoring younger women. In a society such as ours that has been turned topsy-turvy, this is more important than ever. Now, 
used to, when, and many of you have been uh, a part of this, when you would go to the workplace and you would start off when you were a young person, you either you were an apprentice or you were below everyone else on the ladder that had been there for some time. You had to learn your way. You had to learn the skills that these individuals had acquired through 10, 20, 30, 40 years of working. But with the advent of computers, suddenly young people were given a, a, a power that they'd never known before. So older people who didn't know computers couldn't keep up with the new technology, and suddenly younger people were exalted to positions of authority without the experience and the wisdom that had accumulated with years of working within a system. And these young people grow up, and now they might have the technological know-how, but they don't know how the wisdom of how to live and act and behave within society that comes with age. And with the advent of the automobile and with different families that are moving outside of their geographical locations where they lived, such as a farmstead and within an agrarian culture, now we have families moving in different places and, and people that are isolated from their families so you don't have the grandparents speaking in to, to the, the grandchildren and being mentored by them. So the Bible is saying here clearly that older women are to look for opportunities to mentor younger women. Now, the term mentor is popular. I've spoken about this in a, in a few different contexts, but uh, not too many people are aware of the term mentor and where it came from. It comes from Homer's Odyssey. In reference, there's a character named Mentor. And if you remember the, the story of Odyssey, the Odyssey, it's of Odysseus, uh, who is from uh, the island of Ithaca, and he goes to fight uh, the Trojans in the Trojan War. And on his way back, it's a 10-year war, and then it takes him 10 years to get home. Now, he had left his young son right when he had gone off to war. His young son was named Telemachus. And he left Telemachus in the charge of mentor. And when he returns home after 20 years, he finds his son grown to be a man. And he's a courageous, brave, strong, a man of integrity, in large part due to the wise tutelage of mentor. So when we say we're looking for a mentor, we're looking for a similar thing there, that someone could come along that is older than us and speak that truth into our lives. And in the Bible, we see that illustrated very clearly in the life of the Apostle Paul. Paul had Barnabas come along and encourage him, was older than him, and helped him along in the faith. And then yet, Paul also had young Timothy. And every one of us needs a Timothy and a Barnabas in our life, a mentor. Now, you that are older within the, the church, some of you might think, oh, I, what do I have to share with the younger generation? Tons! Tons! You have been through more than they have. And you might have been a failure at it, but you can, in, in some ways, speaking very honestly, but you can speak to those who are younger and tell them about your failures so that they may not repeat the mistakes you made. If you are a person, and it should be, it doesn't matter what age you are. If you are 30, you should look for someone in their 40s or their 50s. If you're in your 40s or 50s, look for somebody in their 70s. If you're in your 60s, look for somebody in their 80s. It never stops. I, I have taken this principle very literally in my life, and I have tried to apply this by always looking for an older man to come alongside and talk to me about what I might be missing and that I might be on guard against in my own life. And I am so appreciative for the counsel of older men and women speaking truth into my life. And I am so glad that Village Bible Church, we are endeavoring to be a family. 
Now, we're not aimed at one, just, one generation. We're not a 20-something church or a 30-something church or a 40-something church. We are a family, which means that we have little small children in the nursery and then we have grandparents, great-grandparents, because it is the entire family of God. God doesn't just speak to one generation. And I actually feel sorry for the churches that are made for just one generation because you are lacking a wisdom that is found only through time and through years of going to the Word of God, of working through life. Now, these older women are to be teaching what is good. Kathos. Teaching what is good. So this plan that God has is for older women to be teaching younger women, teaching them what is good. Now, it's not a formal teaching position of the church, but an informal one-on-one encouragement. It's a picture of the older women, those who are experienced in life, in marriage, and in child-rearing, taking the younger woman in the congregation under their care and helping them to adjust to their responsibilities. It's a blessed and needed ministry that cannot be accomplished by men, according to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 2. This quality leads into the next section on young women. It's spelled out in verses 4 through 5 uh, on what the older women are to teach the younger ones. Now, what are they to teach them and train them to do? Not only teaching them what is good and how to live and how to, to go through life and how to interact in their relationships, which is so needed, especially among, I mean, for men and women. I've known this in my own experience. When I was a youth pastor in Chicago, I remember one evening on, on a Friday night at 1130 on my back porch, I had 16 young men. 75% of them didn't have a father in the house. And I was talking about what it meant to be a man. And all of them sat enthralled because they have no examples. Because the men have left the building. Men need to step up and be the men and leaders that God has intended them to be. And men have a tendency to swing between, on, the, on, the, on the, the pendulum between domination and passivity. And it is not to be, men, you are not to be dominating and forcing your wives into subjection. I, I, I hear of instances of men that do this. I, and they, they quote the scripture out, completely out of context. They, as they're grabbing their wife by the throat, holding them up against the wall, they say, you're to submit to me. Whoa! That's not right. The Bible says that a man is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. I don't remember Christ beating his wife. He didn't verbally abuse her. He didn't put her down. He didn't hold things against her and threaten her in a variety of ways. That's why we have to understand the full counsel of God's word. And for men that do that, I, I, I would encourage you to repent because it's wrong. I don't care what culture you're from. According to the word of God, that's not how to behave. Christ loved her, served her, sacrificed himself for her. He didn't throw things at her. He didn't verbally abuse her. He didn't sexually abuse her. He didn't do any of those things. He loved her and cared for her. So these older women are to train the young women now, in this section, we can see that Paul is addressing the younger married women, a reasonable assumption in that culture. It wasn't at all beneficial for a woman to remain single or unmarried in the ancient world. And even today, statistics and human nature tells us that women will inevitably get married at one time or another. 
The older women are to train the younger women for godliness or that which accords with godliness. Paul had written to Timothy, train himself for godliness, to be disciplined. And here we have a similar admonition. The older women are to be training the younger women for godliness or that which is good. Now, what is that? What are those things for godliness and that which is good? We've seen within the relationships that they have. Seeing verse 3, they are to teach what is good. Verse 4, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. Now, what are they to train the men? There are certain principles Paul wants the older women to convey. Now, these principles include this. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, love their families. Now, that might seem strange to modern ears. Why would a woman have to be trained or taught to love their husbands or families? Now, we have to step back out of our culture for a moment, step into the culture. The marriages there didn't occur like ours did today. They were more likely arranged. So they're entering into these arranged marriages, and he's saying that a woman is still to love her husband and her children. They need to learn how to love. is entirely appropriate for this context. The terms to be self-controlled, pure, both refer to sexual fidelity. When used of women, it refers to chaste and pure. So they're not only to love their families, but to long for purity. Again, it's the understanding that the women, although in arranged marriage, were to be cultivating the marriage by setting their minds on what was good, not on some other man. Or looking for romance in a different place than their husband. Romance novels. Soap operas. All the chick flicks. Not saying that, especially chick flicks are bad. Not saying that. But I am saying that if you are looking in an unhealthy way to have that replaced in your life, you need to stop. If you are getting un I mean, you are, you are receiving some type of enjoyment from that rather than your husband, then that needs to stop. He's saying that a woman should be longing for purity, focusing their hearts and minds on being chaste and pure, set apart only for her husband and her husband to her. Next, we have working at home. It contrasts with the conduct of the younger women at Crete. They were apparently like the women of Ephesus, whom Paul, Paul had addressed in his letter to Timothy. They were not busy at home, but were busy bodies. 1 Timothy 5, 13 through 14. It does not mean that a woman is to work only at home. He says a woman work at home. Now remember, we have to compare Scripture with Scripture. Proverbs 31, which every woman hates. I, I've often heard women say, we have Proverbs 31, what do men have? And I say, Ephesians 5. What is that? That Christ loved the church and he gave himself for her. And we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church, sacrificially. But the woman in Proverbs 31 had a business outside the home. We can also see Lydia. There's different women within Scripture that we can see that we're working outside of the home. So it's not saying that a woman is to, to uh, never work outside the home. That's not what the Scripture is teaching. But it's saying a woman can work outside the home. Of course it, it says that. But it does say that a woman's primary focus is to be the home, not her career. Her career should not be elevated that over her family. And our world is at war with the home. And God desires that women lift up the home. We need to lift up the home. In the midst of an egalitarian and feministic society that despises gender roles, 
and just puts down any penchant for gender differences, the clarion call of God's world is crystal clear in this regard. And it, is, it will endure through time. We must submit ourselves to it. The women are to lift up the home. The home has come under assault in recent years, and our society is a reflection of that. Look at what has transpired in our world. The disintegration of the family, the confusion over gender roles, and not to mention the denigration and war against marriage. I'm not sure if you even have seen the Time article that was posted this past week that said, is marriage obsolete as more and more people are living together? I would encourage you, if you want to know more about that, I just wrote about it. It's called Playing House. Check it out online. Because Playing House is not God's design. And if that has happened to you, I would encourage you to repent of it. Everyone in this room has, has done a sin that they are not proud of. But all of us alike are called to repent of the sins which we have committed. And if you have been playing house, that is not God's intent and it is sinful. And you could say, oh, we're married in the sight of God. No, you're not. I had a couple come to me and they said, we were married in the sight of God, just like Adam and Eve were. No, you were not. First of all, there was no one else there. And God himself was talking to them. That is not a marriage in the sight of God, just because you are fornicating and we love each other. That is not marriage. It's, the scripture is clear. Leave and cleave. And that's a permanent union. Malachi chapter 2, verse 15 talks about that. That God is against the people. For what reason? And he says, you come to me with your offerings and you're dousing the altar with tears. But I will not hear you. And they say, why will he not hear? We're coming crying. We're pleading. He says, because you have not been faithful to the wife of your youth. And have gone against her in covenant. And God had given a portion of his spirit to be shared between the two of you. And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So that he might receive glory. And divorce is unfortunately, and I know many of you have been through divorce. And God does forgive sin. But there are consequences to actions. And it needs to begin in the church. Our understanding about marriage and divorce. And family. And I know many of you have been through painful things. And God can forgive, God can heal, but still the word of God must be upheld. And we place ourselves under it because in placing ourselves under it, we find the fullness of joy. We need to lift up the home again and God's understanding for marriage because Satan is attacking the foundations of society found within marriage, even trying to redefine marriage what it constitutes a marriage. But the word of God will stand true. No matter what assault may come, no matter, no matter what article CNN or Time runs, no matter what Harvard says, no matter what Yale Department of Gender Studies puts forth, God's word will stand true as the heavens. Those institutions and those brick will fall. But God's word will remain true and endear to the end. Next we see, let's look back at our text. Next we see that women are to learn to be kind, kind. In this context, it is referring to the young woman's kind treatment of those in her household. Are you a kind woman? Are you kind to your family? Are you constantly putting them down? Are you verbally abusing your kids? To be 
Are you building them up or tearing them down? The woman that God envisions is building up her house, not tearing it down. Not to say that you don't admonish or rebuke when necessary. That can be a kindness. The proverb says that. Let a, let a wise man wound me. It is a kindness. Because it's an act of love, but not abuse. So we're to see that a woman is to be kind and who's building up with her words rather than tearing down. Paul isn't done yet. He writes, and this is probably where we get to the most controversial aspect of this statement. And I'm so glad in our church this, the Word of God is so valued and upheld that this has not been as big of an issue. But I guarantee that within many churches today, this is the Bible. I mean, people are at war against this next scripture verse. Paul isn't done yet. He writes, and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, he wants us to understand that we have a perspective to keep. Submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. In other words, he's saying this. Men and women alike, but especially in this context, women are to be embracing their roles so that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, the wording here, submissive to their own husbands, this does not say that one gender should submit to another, that all women submit to all men. That's not what it's saying. But a wife to her own husband. Now, the wording here indicates that it is the wife who is willingly placing herself under the authority of one whom she trusts. It's in the subjunctive mood, not the imperative. So it's saying she's willingly doing this. He's not forcing it. She's willingly doing that. It's a very important distinction for us to understand. Submissive to their own husband. She is being com commanded, in essence, to make a voluntary choice to trust her husband. Now, it is when we seek to understand and apply such truths of this that we discover the joy of fulfilling God's purpose for us. And this can be clearly seen in the roles God has created for men and women. God made and ordained men to be the leaders of the home and in the church. Paul wrote about this in his letter to First in Timothy. He said, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Now, several years ago, some Christian men and women came together to form a document that would explain and clarify from a biblical standpoint the biblical roles for both men and women. The fruit of that meeting came to be known as the Danvers Statement because it was made in Danvers, Massachusetts. There are many different evangelicals, even John MacArthur as such, have signed off on this document. And it says this, they wrote this, The fall introduced distortions into the relationships between men and women. Genesis 3, 1 through 7, verse 12 and verse 16. In the home, the husband's loving, humble headship tends to be replaced by domination or passivity. The wife's intelligent, willing submission tends to be replaced by usurpation or servility. In the church, sin inclines men toward a worldly love of power or an abdication of spiritual responsibility and inclines women to resist limitations on their roles or to neglect the use of their gifts in appropriate ministries. In the family, husbands should forsake harsh and selfish leadership and grow in love and care for their wives, and wives should forsake their resistance to their husband's authority and growing willing, joyful submission to their husband's leadership. When women, when wives, submit to their husbands, there is joy. Because there is an order of authority being lived out. Stay with me. 
God, Christ, man, woman. Paul wrote about this in his description of head coverings in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm not going to get into the various nuances of head coverings, but there is something very important within this that I would like to draw your attention to. In 1 Corinthians 11, 7 through 10, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. He said, For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. And I don't know if you've ever read that before. and probably pass over and go, what in the world was that all about? But he's referring here, he's talking about a symbol of authority because of the angels. Now, what I'm saying here is that when women embrace their God-given and God-ordained role, they are proclaiming by their action that God's word is true and he is sovereign over the universe. Imagine a symphony for a moment. Not every instrument can play whatever part they want. The composer wrote pieces for each section and then for individual instruments within that section. If for a moment the cellist decides to play the timpani part or the tuba wants to play the flute part, such a thought would result in disaster and the song would fail. Composers orchestrate their pieces to build upon one another so that they come together in great harmony and the music is played and heard in all of its beauty and simplicity. Without each instrument playing the assigned piece, musical chaos would ensue and the performance would be a disaster. Submission, then, is not a legalistic list of behaviors. It is an attitude of the heart that believes God's kingdom order is good because we trust in Him. By submitting and playing the role for which God the composer wrote it for us, and we come together with others in the roles in which God has assigned, both the men and women alike, there is a song of sanctification that results in great praise to God, even the angels praising God because of the order of authority which God has established in order the universe. Women are not told to submit to domineering, controlling, mean-spirited men. Immediately following this passage, Paul gives the qualifications for elders. 1 Timothy. They are to be above reproach, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, not violent, but gentle. They must be dignified, mature men who are well thought of even by those outside the church. What I mean by that is this. Though we submit so the orchestra of the song of sanctification can be heard, women don't always just benignly or go against or submit even when the individual is abusive or the husband is forcing her to do something sinful. That's not what the scripture is teaching. If a husband is abusing verbally, physically, and using the scripture then against her as a means of subjugation, he's not loving her as Christ loved the church. That is an abuse of his authority. And a woman needs to come to the elders and the elders to intercede. Because God has set forth that authority. Even the elders have placed to be an authority to watch over the sheep of the church for the benefit of their souls. And to shake that authority is to shake God's authority, what He has established. Mature women should teach younger women that they have no reason to be threatened by male headship. When women fall into the trap of thinking that equality means sameness, the church is robbed of the helping, life-giving ministry God fashioned and redeemed us to fulfill. Helping, life-giving ministry. Submission does not restrain women. Submission frees us to accomplish our kingdom purposes. 
When women embrace their God-given and God-ordained role, they are proclaiming by their action that God's word is true and that he is sovereign. And everything, every instrument, playing together, so women submit to the piece that God has ordained they play, it becomes a sweet song in the ear of God. And even the angels pay attention and glorify God for each one receiving their role. When wives submit to their husbands, God receives glory because it is through their submission that the songs of God's creative order is not only played but heard. Unbelievers notice when a husband and wife are both performing their parts in the song of sanctification, embracing the roles they have been given. The sweet song of submission is the melodic line of God's glory and sovereignty being played out in married life. And not only do outsiders notice, but the angels in heaven do as well as they hear the song being played in purity and simplicity of husbands and wives embrace the roles God has laid out in his word. Being submissive to your husband is not discounting your rights or making you less of a person, but it is an act of obedience which fully trusts the way God has orchestrated the world. It is not to make your life harder but more blessed. The question that I have for all of us is this. Are we fulfilling and performing the roles God has intended? Ladies, are you being submissive to your husbands? Older ladies, are you reverent in behavior, guarding your tongue and your words? Are you seeking to speak truth into younger women's lives? And those who are younger ladies, don't hesitate to ask for help when you need it. There are many women in the church that would just love to come alongside another younger woman and then pour her life into yours. Ladies, are you submitting to your husband? Your husband, Are you doing what God has commanded you? Men, are you leading and loving your homes as Christ loved the church? Are we all performing the roles that God has designed? Or are we trying to create our own melodic lines apart from what God has set forth as what is best? Do you recognize that by submitting to your husband, you're honoring God? And to not submit is dishonoring not only your husband, but also the God of the universe. Excuse me. Don't you realize that to submit is to increase one's joy? May we all seek to embrace the roles and reverence, fear and trembling, as we work out our salvation together, side by side, humbly surrendering ourselves to God's word. Because in doing so, we discover what God has for us and that which is best. Though it might seem foreign to our modern ears, God's word will stand true. May we all follow and submit to it together. But ladies, if you have a husband that is not fulfilling his role, please let us know. As elders, if he is abusing his authority, it is our responsibility to intercede and to help teach him to make sure that he is brought under the word of God. And we might pray for you and be there for you. Ladies, are you submitting? Are you willing, willingly placing yourself under the authority of God? I remember when I was dating my wife, and I heard a story. I, I was just debating, is she the one girl for me? She was telling me the story that she was dating a young man her father didn't approve of, and her father said, I want you to break up with the young man. And she said, I will, Daddy, because I'm going to submit to you because the Bible says I'm, I'm supposed to. And he says, wow, I'm so glad you're submitting to me. And she said, she laughed, and she said, do you think I'm really submitting to you? She said, I'm submitting to God in you. 
because I recognize the authority that God has set forth. And I said, I'm going to marry that girl. Because <laughs> it is embracing the roles that God has given that we do discover joy. Not what society says, but what the Word of God says. May we do so all together, humbly and faithfully. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, you have set forth within your word the model woman. Lord, I pray for our, our women, such faithful ladies, sacrificial, such helpers, examples in godliness. And Lord, we know that you are bringing new and younger women into our church day by day, women who have not grown up in Christian homes, women who long to understand what the Word of God says. And Lord, we all know how quickly in each one of us has fallen short at some time or at one time or another. Lord, may you correct all of our thinking. May you truly show us what it is that you have set forth within your Word, the authority structure that you have placed and you have fashioned the universe. Let us not buck it, but let us surrender to it. Let us put it into play. Let us fulfill and embrace the roles that we have been given, not to be limited, but to be joyful. Lord, may we not be blinded or polluted by what society and our world teaches in this fallen world, but may we look to the Word of God that stands as a beacon of light in the midst of darkness. And Lord, may we do so faithfully. May we do so humbly. May we do so circumspectly. Lord, help us to come alongside one another and teach one another, and admonish and encourage and exhort one another, so that we might all do and be what you have intended and commanded us to do and be. And Lord, I pray if there's someone here today who does not yet know you, that they might see that you gave your son to die on the cross for their sins, and that they can have, be born again, have their sins forgiven by trusting in you, by placing their faith in you. Lord, we pray that you might continue to be God within our midst, showing yourself to be the Savior and Lord. Thank you for giving us your Son. Thank you for giving us eternal life. And thank you for giving us your word that we might have the proper manual for living within this world until we are called home, where we will spend eternity with you, delighting in you forever and ever. So Lord, glorify yourself in each one of us. And it's through the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, we pray. Amen.